Arteta! What a strike! the best thing about mispronouncing the head coach's name all season long? It means you can do this. We've got Ozil, Mesut Ozil, I just don't think you understand. He's Unai Emery's man, he's better than Zidane. We've got Mesut Ozil. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right, I've been building on this. I've been pronouncing it Emery all season long, just so that if, when Mesut Ozil had a stormer, like he did against Leicester tonight... I could do that song, and I did, and I'm proud of it, and I'm happy for it. And here to celebrate it with me is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. And also joining us, you can find him on Twitter at Posn in My Pants, where he is often praising Chelsea players. Paul. Hi, Paul. Oh, I, I, uh, maybe I got, got on the wrong... I thought we were doing the Giroud spotlight. No, I bet today. you did. You know what? We can do it in the spotlight on Olivier Giroud and all in good time, my friend. But tonight is a night for celebrating the Arsenal. Woo-hoo! It is Project 3. Project 3. 21 points out of 21 points, just like I predicted we would do. That's why I named it Project 21. But but Clive no. named it Project 24, and we are hoping we can get there. Uh, we are most of the way there. It is really sensational. It was not... The best first half, it was an extraordinary second half. Um, we will have Scott down the line for a very brief stat section, uh, which will be helpful because uh, in this instance, there was no uh, winning ugly. This was winning pretty, although it took a while to get there. Let's start with the lineup, and Paul, I'll start with you. I mean, look, all things being equal, I love Aubameyang. I want him to start every match, but I've come to terms with the fact that that's just not how Emery sees it, and he's earned the right to have my patience, uh, if not everybody's patience. We'll see. Uh, and so Aubameyang starts on the bench, but Mesut Ozil is restored to the number 10 position alongside or, or with uh, Mkhitaryan and Iwobi flanking him. Really a more natural position for him. Obviously, we can get to Licksteiner and the problems we had with him at left back. Really, that was a last resort. We didn't have an option there. Um, and it, it got so bad, in fact, that we played without a left back, essentially, for the second half. But basically... Where I want to start with this is Mesut Ozil. I don't know that he was in vintage form in the first half, but he was on the ball a lot more. He was a lot more integral to what we were doing, to the buildup. He was flitting into those spaces. You know, seeing him restored to that number 10 position, that's the story of this game, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, uh, it caught my eye just before the game. Cullen Davies of of Arsenal video fame may, mentioned um, how when Ozil is played as 10 uh, at the Emirates, he pretty much comes away with the man of the match, you know, nine times out of 10. That's probably a slight exaggeration or probably he overstated it. But uh, as we kind of roast them on a spit in the second half with uh, Ozil pulling the the strings, uh, that tweet came back to me. It was just absolutely delicious. Ozil at the 10. Uh, you you mentioned Aubameyang. I kind of got him not starting this time around. I mean, he has been starting just on the left. But uh, with Licksteiner at left back, I think maybe we saw why the, the coach might have been somewhat conservative in the lineup, uh, putting not Aubameyang ahead of him, but uh, a couple of players who, in theory at least, uh, could handle the wide position and do the graft going both ways. So I kind of understood the lineup. But yeah, I mean, playing Ozil at the 10, 
him playing out of his socks. I mean, that's his best performance that I can remember in recent times. Wearing the captain's armband, maybe he grew into that. Uh, he, he still hasn't got out of the habit of just passing it into the net. You know, he, he, uh, if he scores, it's a pass. I just think we should put the strikers in the two corners of the nets so he has people to pass to behind the <laughs> goalkeeper. That uh, take if take they step over it, it, will will we get the offside call or not? I mean, that's really all we have to figure out there. If if you know if they yeah, dummy uh, it into the, the goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Well, but, uh, I, just, yeah, just, just great stuff. Just so you know, this isn't in hindsight, too. I mean, literally, I, I keep a little notepad on my phone of things to discuss uh, on the podcast, and then I forget to open it during the podcast and just talk about whatever pops into my mind. So uh, best laid plans and all that. But the very first thing I wrote for this match is Ozil 10 looks so much more comfortable. Um, yeah. and, he, and he really did, and I, th- I thought it was noticeable. Let's just spend a second. Uh, can yeah, can yeah, I ahead. just add to your point? I did actually think he was really good in the first half, not not the levels of the second half, but I liked what he was doing, popping in, dropping in. I think there's a really nice balance with Torreira, Chaka, and hopefully with those who left the 10, if we see this going forward, I think they they moved to each other really well, better than I've seen in a, uh, at Arsenal this season and I think maybe why we were more, so fluid the 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 understanding of those three and when Ozil dropped in to receive the ball was delicious I thought I hope we talk about Torreira I thought his we positioning not, was e- not even a little spectacular. bit no intention of mentioning him at all he, he was our leading passer in the match and and also our leading defensive player but no no mention yeah. at all um Clive, uh, let, look, I know we talked about it on the halftime show. Not everybody will have listened. Those of you who did join us, though, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Um, we carry on the tradition of winning every game uh, that we do a halftime show for, so that's good. So, Clive, um, let's just quickly talk about Lichsteiner, though. I mean, we didn't have Nacho Monreal. We didn't have Kolasinac. We didn't have uh, Maitland-Niles, so we had to play Lichsteiner there. I mean, look— He's not a left back, and he hasn't looked that great at right back when he's played there, but he is an experienced international, and am I entitled to be a little disappointed with the performance? I mean, overall, I thought he was pretty mediocre in this game. I mean, I I definitely think we're seeing that his usefulness at the club is going to be maybe even more limited than we had suspected, but how big a problem was the the left fullback position for us tonight? I think the problem was not having a left footer on the left-hand side, and we saw that. When Shaka moved over there, I mean, who would have thought a manager would have put probably our slowest player at left back on a booking, right? No, we didn't talk about that at halftime, did we, right? So yeah. um, I think that's a genius move. So why, did, why has he done that and what's the difference? I think our eyes are conditioned now to seeing the ball move quickly. So once we got rid of our early game rust, we started to move the ball quickly. We looked more intense. But when he went to Lichtsteiner, he had to receive it on his front foot, move it to his back foot, whip it back round to his right foot, three touches, pop it off and run into a space where no one was marking him. That took the whole momentum away. And that just shows you that really, we spoke the other week about playing what we see. Mm-hmm. That basically means playing what we see. Play the first time ball, pop, pop, really quickly, nice and direct. Play the overload when you see it, first pass when you see it, and then move off your spot, different line. When a player's having two or three touches, the whole rhythm goes. Everybody's made their run, or they don't make their run. They wait for him to get his shoulders correctly round because he's playing on his wrong foot. And so it's difficult to judge him. I think it's just the difficulty of the position and how it affects our flow. And Shaka goes in there. He just receives on his back foot, pushes it first or second touch. 
And suddenly we've got a player that I thought we should have come off at half-time because he was looking that bad. Just moved him out of the way a little bit and he's now you know, pushing our passing from that position really quickly. We've got balance all over the pitch. It's really, yeah, it's really amazing how important this is. And I tweeted out and said, imagine if we had a left-footed centre-half. I think it make a huge difference to this team. To have the right people on the right foot in the right areas is really important. Don't dismiss it. And I think we saw that with Litsteiner. No matter how valiant he tried, it just didn't look quite right. And then as soon as he moved, we were, we were up and running. Yeah. And I mean, look, it, it's maybe one of the reasons why we've missed Santi Cazorla so much is because he was so two-footed. I mean, the one thing that made him very hard to press is there was no weaker foot to press him onto, um, you know, which is not the case with Shaka, obviously. Yeah, the, the Licksteiner thing wasn't great, and I, I think they had a really good counterattack that came from actually a transition where we had good build-up going forward, and Licksteiner just had to play a little three-yard pass to Iwobi on the flank, and he just gave it away uh, because it was on his weaker foot. So that, that wasn't a remember great he's not. We have to remember he's not playing that much, mm. and every time he comes in, we expect him to be great. And it's really hard for him, someone a little bit older to find their level when you're playing every four weeks. Really hard, right? Mm-hmm. So I think um, I'm winning. I, lo- I looked at the end of the game, you know, when the subs all came on, and he looked as happy as us, <laughs> right? So, and I think that's great. And I would love, you know, I don't want to dismiss him. I wonder what the impact he's having in the dressing room because he's a serious individual, right? And we used to have one called Jens Lehmann, very much like him, a serious winning individual. Also and crazy. Think, also crazy. And I think he's having, I would hazard a guess, he's having a major impact to our our teen spirit in our dressing room. Yeah, I, look, the, the spirit is definitely good. You can tell that. I have no way of knowing, obviously, whether Licksteiner contributes to that in a significant way. Let's hope so. Uh, from a playing standpoint, maybe, maybe not going to make the impact we might have hoped just in terms of the quality he brings on the pitch. But if he's helping in the dressing room and helping Bellerin learn the game, then that's certainly important. And the- he was decent as a left back the last time he played. I can't remember the game. It was probably about six weeks ago. But I thought he was okay. That you know, m- much better performance than this one. So yeah. as Clive says, we shouldn't be too harsh on him. He, he's he's doing the job he's asked to do. It's it's not his job. This was a, a selection of last resort, so I don't think it needs to be overindulged. Uh, despite the fact that we like to overindulge certain topics on this podcast, mm-hmm. I, one one thing that I think has definitely started to happen is. Guys, there have been a lot of times this season where we've come on this podcast and said, we can't really make out what the system is. What is the Mm -hmm. Emory system? And that is definitely starting to take shape, at least against, I was going to say smaller teams. I mean, Leicester is a good side. But in this run of wins, we have played this 4-4-2 out of possession with this box in midfield, um, you know, staying compact and narrow through the center, blocking off buildups through the center of the pitch, channeling things out to the wings, and then building... Uh, inside out uh, with more direct play when we get the ball. And I, I think it's been really interesting to watch. It turns into a 4-2-3-1 in possession, I think it would be fair to say. Paul, I mean, is that how you see it? And would you say that now we have a little more clarity on on the system that Emery is settling on? Yeah, um, but I have this very strong feeling. It's not hugely different to what Arson did. I mean, it's somewhat different in execution, um, and it's with some players better suited to the system. You know, one of my frustrations with Arson was he just didn't pull the trigger on getting the players he needed together at the same time uh, during the summer windows. And, you know, 
Terraria, how cohesive would we have looked if we hadn't got the Terraria piece in place? Now, there's there's definitely subtleties of how we play it, and uh, we're really getting Bellerin forward. Um, uh, I was delighted to see Mkhitaryan on, but I don't think, I think we saw in the second half, it ain't just down to Mkhitaryan that Bellerin's getting forward. Other players are have got the memo that cut back, we're cutbacks FC. And the frustration in this game could have been that we only had one wing that was doing the cutbacks because Licksteiner wasn't going to get up there. But uh, what heartens me, as you say, to the system is lots of players are now uh, cleverly moving. Uh, It's almost you come away from this game thinking it's somewhat interchangeable who the players are. And I haven't felt that until now. It feels like it's clicking and that players know the system rather than you're reliant on the exact 11 on the field. And one of the things I enjoyed again today was when we brought on the subs, uh, they all got with the program, whereas very often when Arson would sub, you kind of felt it was the A-team, and then he'd bring on the subs, and we'd play quite differently. We'd either have a version of bring on all the full backs and we'd sit back or we'd throw everybody at attacking. Now that's, that's an exaggeration, but I really felt when we brought on the subs this time, we did some subtle tweaks, but we kept playing in a very similar way uh, with, with somewhat different players. So uh, I think to your point, execution of this system and there are, I mean, there are tweaks. We're not as gung ho about possession uh, we're more comfortable at counterattacking. Uh, I never felt in recent years we were particularly good at counterattacking, and now we're fucking brilliant at it at least a couple of times a game. And I really think it's just execution and understanding, and maybe there's something at a tactical level that I'm missing. But today felt not a million miles from what Arson was trying to do, but maybe wasn't ex- executing as well. And maybe we have a, two or three players that should have been in the team a year or two ago for Arson. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we definitely seem to be is more disciplined and pre- predictably compact and disciplined through the center of the pitch out of mm-hmm. possession. Um, and where we're pressing, it's funny, you know, you had said on a previous podcast, we're not a pressing team. And I, I had agreed with you. I think we are a pressing team, but in the middle third. What seems clear, and this is where I think Arson, we, we disappointed under Arson, is we gave opposition too many times possession in central midfield with no pressure on the ball. And those were situations that we handled very poorly in a lot of cases. And tonight, you know, I, don't, I can't remember Jamie Vardy getting in behind ever, not once in this game. And I think a big reason for that we know we don't have the best central defenders, and we know we don't have the best ability to hold a line. I mean, we saw that on one of their set pieces where Lacazette, I think it was, played everybody on side, and Leno had to make an incredible save. But we pressed in central midfield. And so you had Ozil and Lacazette sort of on the halfway stripe. You had Shaka and Torreira maybe 10 yards behind them. You had Awobi and Mkhitaryan tucking in a little bit so there weren't channels to pass into the half spaces or through the center of the pitch. And wherever the ball went in central midfield triggered the press. Someone dropping back and someone stepping up. So Lacazette or Torreira stepping back and up, respectively, or or Ozil and, and Shaka. Now, Shaka wasn't quite as good at it Agreed. because that's not, yeah. his, that's not his strong suit. And that was where we had some trouble. And we saw Shaka give away you know, some bad fouls in, in that position. 
uh, where he, he could have had actually another card, but that's beside the point. So, I mean, Clive, let's do this. Let's finish off this sort of pedantic discussion of... of oh, man, I want to I get a little no, bit of that That's what I'm saying. I, I want to ask you. I'm saying, so let's finish off this pedantic discussion of system before we get into specific moments of the match. And, and I also want to spend a lot of time in the second half because it was so brilliant. But uh, why don't you chime in on, on how you see that system and whether you agree with how we're looking at it? All right, so I think, I think there's a basis to a system. But I think the system is interchangeable. Simple as that. Right? So you've got two centre-backs and two in front. That's the basis of his system with mobile full-backs. Right? What happens ahead has varied, right? Sometimes we, don't, we play with a 10. Sometimes we play with almost two squares. You have the base square and the higher square. So I think we play with two eight-and-a-halves or two tens behind two forwards. Right? But what's consistent and what has been consistent since the start has been the two in front and the two centre-backs and the activity of the full-backs, right? So you can say where the line was, defensive line. It's been high on occasion without pressure. We've changed the personnel. We've added a bit more intensity in the middle of the pitch and suddenly we're not getting picked off so much. So we're giving away less one-on-one chances than we saw against, say, Watford and Everton. But that two in front, and it comes back to the difference between what Wenger was doing, what Wenger was doing, he had two central defenders and one in front, and that one was Shaka, who was not a presser, not very mobile. Oh, by the way, Shaka, you have to make sure to start all our passing moves as well. So not only are you our chief defender that's going to stay there, not only are we playing to all of your weaknesses, but we want you to drive the car as well. You know, and I think that's the big difference. You have the square, you have distances, you have distances when we have the ball, distances when we don't have the ball. And yeah. that, for me, is a far better more adult, pragmatic shape. So what Wenger was doing was literally, you heard me say it before, boys, was playing without a safety net. So he still pushed the fullbacks on. He was still push Ramsey on. He still let Ozil do what he likes. So what he's saying now is, you four, you know your jobs. The two in front, you can be a little bit more flexible, but be wary, you have to recover in and press the ball when you can. Lacazette, you are centre forward, but I'm sorry, mate, you've got to work back into the hole as well to make sure we give our defenders a respite. And so you've got players who are giving free attacking roles with real discipline, pressing back, recovering, tackling consistently throughout the game. And we look fitter than them today. We look much fitter later in the game, much more intense. The gaps appear and we pick them off. So um, I think it's it's really enjoyable to see a level of seriousness about your team shape. We have we well, we have all at some point in a time shook our heads in disbelief at the disregard for the opposition, disregard for our own weaknesses, disregard for the game itself, the basis of the game. Protect your goal protects your defenders and he takes the game seriously and i think it's great yeah it's it's a welcome thing to see and i i just think you see you know look we accused arson bangers football being jazz and that doesn't mean there wasn't a plan loosely but you see the difference in a plan that is drilled versus a plan that is uh just a scaffolding so to speak in that I really feel you're starting to see the players on the pitch, especially off the ball defensively, understand conceptually what they're supposed to be doing. Now, I don't want to go overboard with this because I know we have conceded quite a few chances, and tonight actually could have been worse. Um, I say tonight, by the way, we're recording right at full time, which is uh, kind of nice. We'll have this out for you in a timely fashion, which you know because you're listening to it right now. So <laughs> there you go. Genius. 
Anyway, uh, Paul, let, let's get some of the nasty stuff out of the way first, because there's some stuff in the first half that was not ideal, mm. and, and we're going to spend you know definitely two-thirds of the podcast on the good stuff. But um, I would say that Shaka had kind of a dodgy first half off the ball, but I also think Holding low-key mm. maybe struggled tonight. Um, mm. He had a few situations where he was caught out. He had the handball thing, which should have been a penalty. He also was poor in possession. I think the biggest thing that that Mustafi has added to his game, and he's not my favorite, but he looks so confident on the ball, whether he's stepping into midfield or whether he's distributing from deep. When holding us to play out from the back, you can still see that extra thought in his head. It reminds me of check a little bit. Shift it to the other foot. Look up, look up. Shift it to the other foot. Look up. And their goal actually comes from, if you, if you watch it back, uh, Leno gives it out and we, we play it a little bit intricately in the back. And holding has a chance to just not get back inside, either to Mustafi or to Leno. But he's nervous about doing it because there's some Leicester players nearby and he takes it onto his left foot towards the touchline, weaker foot, plays a poor out ball, and that starts the counterattack. And then we get unlucky with the deflection for a goal. And when people talk about regression to the mean on XG, it's these kinds of things, right? In our previous games, that deflection goes wide. In this game, it goes in, and that's how you find yourself behind 1-0. But, I mean, do you think it's fair to say that maybe holding just struggling a little bit both on the ball and off the ball? This was not his best game. Um, Look, we play a really high line in a game like this, really high, and he's up against uh, Iheya Nacho. Um, Who was very good. He was very good. And, it. I mean, you can say what you like about him. His pace is fairly electric, and that's a big ask, and I think he was on the ropes. Um. So I, I think he felt pretty exposed throughout this game. And now he made more mistakes than the high line and getting caught and maybe his timing little be, uh, being a little off. Or, We'd be killing him for uh, the handball if it got called. I mean... Yeah, we did. Uh, I actually... I mean, I don't think those should be called, but I think they usually are. You, you I mean when you he, raise your hand and punch the ball away from opposition head? Well, I mean, I didn't see lots of angles on it. It looked to me like the guy, he was bumping up the, against the other guy, which was going to push his arm up. Clive, chime in just, just super quick, because I have to admit, I, I glanced at it and thought it was blatant penalty. Am I, am I missing something? You, which way do you see it? Yeah, he, he did a good impression of Dirk Nowitzki there, didn't he? Right? It's, <laughs> it's just, he just, uh, yeah, it was a penalty. Well, he was off balance. I don't think he punched it. His hand was in an, in an awkward position. But the, the referee, player's referee coming into his him. elbow, which extends his arm. Yeah. That's how I saw it. I'm not positive. Well, but uh, Yeah, okay. I don't think it was... I don't don't think it's intentional but it's one of those ball when your your hands above your sure. head yep. it's one it's referee gets a free one this, there, this isn't the Zapruder film we can we can move on it's not important enough uh, but yeah, but yeah let, let's finish the more central point and just uh continue your analysis of his performance generally yeah no i think he he just generally felt uh exposed here he, he's been better more recently in other games this was not his best outing uh, Mustafi and, for the most part, Leno, I think, really had good games, which maybe balanced it out a bit, but he could have been the weak link this time around. I mean, there's not too much to say on it apart from, uh, I mean, he's reasonably quick, but he's not super quick. So games like this are going to expose him. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, this the good thing is, even when we weren't at our best in the first half, there were some things to like, and Leno is one of them. I mean, you want your keeper to make some spectacular saves, and he does, Clive. If I had to pick on one thing from this game that was worrying, I thought we took a step back in our set-piece defending, both on corners and on uh, free kicks. They hit the crossbar with one. They should have scored from one where we where Lacazette played everyone onside. 
is that really the other area where we'll have to look at the tape and kind of improve? A little bit, but you have to think about their size, right? They've got good delivery. They've got Indeedy. They've got Maguire. They've Iannaccio, got really yeah. tall. They've got some really tall players in there. And um, and they're Johnny Evans as well. And I'm thinking, you know what? We look quite small. You know, we're but, just but the Maguire the, one is just off. bad play, right? I mean, he's he Lacazette plays everyone onside. Bellerin's not alive to it. He's just... Is it Maguire? He's the one who heads it down and Leno makes the exceptional Yeah, season. he heads yeah. it down, but it's like... You know what? They were on their toes. They're having a. You have in football. You have to give people have their moment, right? The good thing about that is that we repelled them for most of that time. And when they eventually scored their goal, they deserved a goal in that period. But when it, the way it happened was actually quite unluckily. The Maguire header was outstanding, and the save on Leno was beautifully soft-handed round the post because there were two players coming in on him, and I think that was excellent. Again. I've moaned many times about Arsenal not looking prepared for games, but they haven't looked at the opposition. Again, Leno, he read the, he read the game really well. When he saw his centre-backs under a little bit of stress, his starting position was really good. He would come out and sweep up. He was really quick off the line. That's why we never saw Vardy in those really scary situations coming out with check and maybe stealing a penalty, one of those favourite dives of his. I just thought we looked really quite good. Holding, again, we're back to the left footer on the left-hand side. Sometimes under pressure, you need to be on your on your good foot. And he just isn't sometimes, and the quality goes down. It's no criticism of him. It's just at the top, top, top level, you've got to be very two-footed to make sure that under pressure you can still retain the ball one night. And when you regain it, you can retain it. And that's just a big part of the game because that forces a transition. You get your first two passes off and we're away and they're in trouble, right? So and that's what we were playing for. It's room for improvement there. But if you saw Callum Chambers playing at the weekend for Fulham against, uh, who they play? I can't remember now. They got, Cardiff, they got beat. And heavily. they got walloped Cardiff, 4 2. Yeah, 4 2. And I think he got he played, started on right wing back, then went to right back, and went to centre half. Then got hooked at half time. Right, he's having a terrible time there at the moment. They're conceding, I think they conceded 24 goals so far this season. When I compare the two of them, I think Holden's miles ahead, and I yeah. always suspected he would be. Yeah, I am. Um... I was thrilled when we sent Chambers out on loan, and uh, it can see now that it was the right decision, and uh, any of the recordings of me freaking out about him being sent on loan have been destroyed. So, yeah, you, you can't prove I ever uh, had a hissy fit and said that it was a, a mad decision that we shouldn't have done it, because there's, there's no tape of that that exists. What's, what's look, your timeline tomorrow, mate? Look, I'll, I'll raise my hand when I get them wrong, but this is one where I clearly did not get it wrong, but don't feel the need to go back to previous podcasts and check. Just take my word for it. Paul? We get the goal before halftime, and it's so important, um, and, it's, and it's beautiful for Mesut Ozil. And it's interesting because I thought we had done a poor job crossing in the first half. One of the things I've loved about this season is when we get into wide positions, what do the players do? Cut it back, cut it back, cut it back to the penalty spot, to the, to the top of the 18, and it's been resulting in really good chances and a lot of really good goals. And then this game, we were firing in those whipped-in crosses. There was one where Bellerin just whipped it right to uh, Schmeichel, and it was really disappointing, but... But for the goal, it's a beautiful pullback, and Mesodozo's touch is perfect. Uh, that that was a crucial goal and a crucial moment that probably changes the the total the approach to the second half and everything about the game. Always a good time to score right before halftime. But how impressed were you with that goal? Uh, look, it was superb. Uh, uh, Ozil, you can see his utter enjoyment of the moment, not just the goal. Um, wearing the captain's armband, you'd like to think. 
that augurs well. Uh, you know, we we heard the reflection from Wenger, and I think it's it, it's a a valid one that players who don't have a World Cup or a national team to aim at can can lose some motivation. But perhaps the thing that can pick Ozil up is the chance to really grow into a a leader um, for the team and. You know, I, I say that with some hesitation because I don't think it's the easiest thing for him, but it's that time in his life and his career where he can be that quiet leader and maybe step up. And maybe this game has given Emery the confidence to put more of those eggs in his basket um, at the number 10 spot uh, and, uh, and him becoming more central. He needs to do it away from home too. Um and apparently he still had a sore back today, but if this is him with a sore back, I hope he breaks five vertebrae before we play the next uh, one. Okay, no, no, I'm going to disagree no? there. No, oh, okay. I think whatever no? whatever soreness he's got is enough or too much. So don't okay. you put that in the world. <laughs> All right, never mind that. So, no, I think I think it's it was huge. I think we talked about the... I agree with you on the pressing, but I did think about... Uh, five ten minutes into this game, we were much more tenacious on our pressing and pr- pressing in midfield than I'd seen in recent times, and it, we just seem to get stronger as the game goes on. I don't know if some of that's just that we don't come out uh, full force at the start, um, and the opposition do, and certainly Leicester were on it for the pressing. And as their energies drop, it's funny how often we come back towards the end of the first half and then into the second half. And I just think we build or at least maintain and other teams just can't maintain the intensity. And you see Ozil coming more and more into the game, at least based on, on a few recent performances. So hopefully this is our way of doing it and we just adjust a little better in the early stages to get that energy up a little bit quicker. But it, it, uh, it's almost like their line slowly trailed down and we gradually ramped it up. But I, I do think we came at it in the first half, just not with it, quite enough intensity. Yeah, and, you know, it, it can be tough after an international break when the players have been away. And we will certainly have had, or at least I'm just guessing, this. if this is wrong, don't correct me, um, more players away on the international break than Leicester. So maybe that would have been a little bit sharper. And then we come into the game and we blew them away. The good news here is Leicester, Leicester have been good. And, they, you know, this is not Fulham that we swept aside in the end. This is, this is a good team. Uh, I think, you know, even though we did give some chances early, I, I think I read on the internet that they had five chances on goal in the first 20 minutes or 25 minutes and three the rest of the game, something like that. So we really shut them down and dispirited them. Clive, let, let's talk about the second half and specifically the substitutions. This has been a theme all season, is Emery just having a way with the substitutions, getting it right, picking the right guys, using that bench to its greatest effect. And the thing that so impressed me is that he looked at the areas where there was a problem. I don't think this was the best day for Mkhitaryan. Um, I think it's fair to say he was struggling. And Awobi, to his credit, when this season started, I would have, you know, while, while I did pick him as a breakout candidate, obviously, because, <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've always thought the talent is in there. But, but I think you would have said that Mkhitaryan would probably be the more important player for us in our attack. But Awobi has really made himself... Harder to take out. Mkhitaryan struggled today. He gets taken out. But then Licksteiner, who is struggling, you know, the coach looks at it and says, I'm not scared to play without him and to slide Shaq into that position. So how impressed were you with the decision to bring on Obama Yang and 
Genduzi, but also who he did it for and the, the influence once again that his substitutions had on the game. Yeah, I, I, I was incredibly impressed with what he, what he saw. I think the game was made for Aubameyang. We, we both said that at halftime. It was made for him. And I think it was, it was going to shock them. Guendouzi, I just had a feeling for him. And I, and I was thinking about Shaka. I was thinking about Madison, you know, twisting him again and then getting the book in. I thought you've got to take Shaka out. So I'm thinking maybe Mikatarian and Shaka for Guendouzi and Abamian. That's pretty sensible, isn't it? But you know what? Who'd have thought he was going to take off the left back? To, I, I to, didn't. To keep, to keep Shaka <laughs> on the pitch. So you've got you've got Vardy and Iheanacho, pretty lively. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put Shaka in the exposed wide areas at the back. <laughs> with with Aubameyang in front of him. <laughs> Great. Yeah, Fire away. Oh, my God. Never saw that one coming. But it worked. He just he put us on the front foot. And it didn't matter what Shaka was doing. He was hardly ever exposed. Actually, did really well defensively and was very, very calm. And, of course, I thought Guendouzi looked absolutely tremendous in this game. Mm-hmm. Really, I thought... Can, can I, I just thought, jump wow. in with a comment about that? The, the thing about Guendouzi that I... See, because I thought he was pretty good. But what I'll say is interesting is when he when he has a little pressure on him... I, so, so off the ball, I just wish he'd up the intensity a tiny bit. Because wow. when he has the ball at his feet and he looks up, he is so intelligent and, and so good on the ball... Off the ball, there were a few situations. Just watch the difference between him and Torreira. The way Torreira closes space and the way Ganduzi gives an extra yard. But, no, I loved him, and I, I'll give my thoughts on him. But I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on him off, off the ball as well because I still think that's the area yeah. where he just needs to liven up a little bit. So I suppose it's a style thing, right? So you put him next to Shaka, I don't think it works. You put him next to Torreira, it works. And you're, you're right about some of his sort of cool play he looks quite he's, he's going for his cool frame of mind at the moment i just want to jog look good stroke it but when he puts the foot on the gas and then he drove through the midfield and just left them behind and oh nearly dinked lacazette sorry i think it's a bamyang in late in the game and he was furious because a bamyang would have gone through and scored right so we left we left three goals on the pitch i think what happened you know in the substitutions were were tremendous they all added something but what we did to Leicester was what was happening to us a year or so ago. Remember, I always refer back to the Everton-Man City away games when they basically upped the intensity second half, ran us off our feet, and then ended up winning the game. we now doing that to everybody else. We're up in the intensity. We're moving the ball quickly, much more directing our thinking. We're trusting our players to move the ball off, off one-two touch. So we're committing to run at full speed. When you commit to run in full speed in wide areas, you create separation. And it looks so simple, the crossing and the timing, because everyone trusts everybody to play the right pass at the right weight so they can commit to the next pass like chess. I know what it's going to do there. So if I commit early, I'm going to be ahead of my man. And you're seeing people pass the ball in with three yard separation. I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful what's happening here. And, um, you know, this is one, and I know Tim's not on, but this is one of those from inside the stadium. I'm getting loads of tweets telling me that the belief inside the stadium is changing and people are exceptionally happy about what they're seeing. And I'd love to hear what the crowd are saying and mumbling about in the background, because what we're seeing is something very nice to watch. Yeah. I think today was a big fucking deal in that because Fulham was brilliant, but you couldn't say anything but, yeah, yeah, but it's Fulham. And up till that, the 
results were great, but the performances weren't. You know, I, I'm not worried about our XG stats today. We were fucking sensational. Well, they were good, by the way. Yeah. They were good. They you were good. Paul, let, let, let's Paul, move. One second, yeah. Elliot. One second. You know what? That's a great point, Paul, there. You know, I listen. I used to look at StatZone a lot last year, and I love StatZone. I, I still have a little brief look at it. But it doesn't seem as important. Does that make sense? What yeah. we, what it feels like seems more important than looking at the numbers. Do you see? Let's have yeah. a quick look at 600 passes. But I already know we killed them. I already know we overran yeah. them. I already know that we made them look stupid. We tested their technique and we grew into the game. And that just feels more important to know that we made 600 passes to their 222, whatever it was. It was just, it's, it's just great. And what does it do to the confidence to get stronger and stronger and stronger as the game goes on and feel like you should have scored six? I mean, it's... Well, that, that is, yeah. look, that is a testament to all this extra running we're doing. You know, you say what you want about Emery and his training methods, but being fitter means finishing games better, and we are finishing yeah. games better, and there's no doubt in my mind that the fitness has something to do with that and the way he's using the team, the way he's rotating it, the way he's making the subs, the different problems he's creating with those substitutions for the opposition so they're not just solving the same problem over and over and over again. It is easy sometimes when you analyze this stuff to make it sound like what you're doing is taking a shot at Arsene Wenger, which is not how it's meant. It's just that there are certain differences this season that seem very clear to me, and those are a couple of them. You guys brought up stats which in this business is what we call a sagu so we will sagu to uh sagui sagui sorry my bad. i've seen it spelt i got i got the pronunciation problem so we will sagui to um scott's stat section it's going to be a real short one today so if you don't like stats um just listen anyway and if you do like stats uh well soak up every second we're gonna take a break we'll talk to scott when we come back we're gonna talk about Mesut ozel stealing the show Okay, now Scott joins us uh, to break down the statistics of a match that didn't flatter Arsenal, that actually was a comprehensive victory uh, in final adjudication, which is always nice. No regressing to the mean here. Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Hello. Okay, so uh, that was good, by the way. So the debate recently has been that Arsenal are uh, sort of defying XG, defying gravity, that regression to the mean is coming, so to speak. There was some regression to the mean in this match. We can discuss that in a moment. But in terms of this underlying performance, uh, it was every bit as good as the uh, scoreline suggested. So what was the final total XG for this match? All right. Yeah, so for this match, um, I had Arsenal with 3.1 and Leicester with 1.1. So it very fairly... Three to one. What the actual performance <laughs> was. So it's always good when that happens. And I think for the first time in a, a long time, actually, Arsenal came under their XG for a match if it was ever so slightly. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, so one of the questions I actually had for you, you have a shot placement model that you've been working on. And I noticed your shot placement model had our XG a little lower. And I wanted to ask you, so this gives value to shots based on where they're placed. But in situations like Aubameyang's goals, where the keeper has been taken out of it and you're shooting at the dead center of the goal, does your model actually penalize you for that i mean is that something that you have to work on with that model exactly because i don't know where the the keeper is it just assumes that 
he's going to be cutting out the the middle of the goal but on those kinds of cutback passes where he was guarding another player down at the the end line he had to you know he was just completely taken out by the the cross so both of those so the the first goal is a 0.19 the second goal is a 0.20 when you know in all realistic those are much higher than that what is the quote um, naive as, model have those as um, so those ones i think the 0.76 for both of them wow Ooh, so no. those, that's your Aubameyang right there. So, so if I'm doing the math right, Aubameyang's XG for the match comes in around 1.5. Yeah, so he's yeah having a great day. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, well, before we get to Aubameyang and Lacazette, let's talk about the the man of the match, Mesut Ozil. Um, this is a guy who you joked your PPVA or uh, progressive passing value added and offensive value added model was built for. Um, except it hasn't been a great season for him in those statistics but today he was off the charts once again so maybe you can talk us through his offensive value added and his ppva and what that means to the uninitiated yeah so today was a day where you really could see the the value in his passing so he led um all players with the offensive value added of 0.76 um with 0.72 of that coming from um his passing um he added um 0.05 with his shooting um and 0.08 with his um carrying of the ball um so the 0.72 ppva where's that put him uh in terms of percentile for that uh, percentile that's that's a that's definitely a 90th percentile there, there there'll go. be certain games where people will get over over one but you know getting over 0.5 you know is a, a really really good game um and where he's at there is a uh, definitely in the the 90th percentile of you know people that will actually happen this is a quintessential as performance though right the statistics he had in this match both the big ones like goals and assists but also the the um more advanced metrics this fits more with the profile of what you'd seen from ozil throughout his arsenal career correct exactly yeah so in this one he actually ended up having uh three killer passes um in this one and all of them from open play so a killer pass is one that has a, a value added greater than 0.05 um so that would be like the pass that he did to, to Bellerin that set up uh, the, the first goal for Aubameyang um, where he just absolutely cut out, was it like probably three, three defenders? or four yeah. players? <laughs> exactly, where just all of them were gone. That's a great Bellerin stat, in- by the way, that killer pass, because that that's one that's not an assist, but he does the hardest part of that move. Exactly. You know, Bellerin's pass is perfect, but, yes. you know, that's not the one that sets everything up. Um, the other thing from him, he was uh, five of five on his passes into the box, which is just amazingly good. Um, you know, no one else completed um, more than one. Oh, no, actually, I see here there's someone had a, a four here. But still, it's, uh, yeah, he was just everything. He had 93% passing overall, which is amazing for how um, high up the pitch he plays. Those are the kind of numbers you normally see from center backs who normally just do passing sideways. Um, so this was really back to his top, top form. And I was very happy to see that from him. And playing in the 10. So, you know, maybe it is just a reminder uh, that this is a player who's worth trying to build a system around a little bit. You know, I'm not saying throw everything out with the wash, but maybe make sure you get him into this position if he can deliver performances like this. So uh, uh, another player who really, really impressed me, on a day when we scored some scintillating goals, a lot of the dirty work was done by Torreira. He also led us in passing. So both defensively and offensively, I think he stood out in this game. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, so I thought that he had a, a really good game. He was um, amazing um, on his ability to, um, you know, recirculate the ball. He always seemed to be in the right spot um, when he was playing. Um, his defensive numbers were all um, quite good. Um, you know, he was 84 of 92 passing, so he had 92, just under 92 percent. 
Um, you know, very tidy. Almost in the 100 passes from third. your, quote, defensive midfielder is, that's busy. Exactly, yeah. No, he's 15-15 in the defensive third, 53-56 in the middle third. So he's not being careless with the ball, definitely taking care of it. Part of it um, is, I think, in that second half, um, you know, Leicester were just so beat up by Arsenal. It was just uh, yeah, amazing that... Um, you know, they just didn't have any of the ball. Arsenal dominated everything, which was really good to see because it seems like for too much, um, Arsenal this season have really kind of let the other team into the into the game too much. And in this one, um, Arsenal really just stepped on them and then didn't let them up until maybe you know like the last like five or ten minutes or something like that when you know the game was already decided. So um, I was really really happy about that. Uh, the other thing that I really like from Torreira. Um, is his ball recoveries. Um, he had 13 in this match, which is um, really good. So I think that really shows that his positioning on cleaning up. So Lester would try to clear the ball, um, but Les- or, but uh, Torreira was always there to get it. He actually even was two of two in you know aerial duels, which is not something you'd expect from a guy that has to be like, what, 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, yeah. Um, so he was really good there. Uh, two of three in his tackles with an interception. Uh, so I was very happy with him. Let's get to the strikers for a second. And one person who did experience some regression is Lacazette. We've been talking about this. His shooting numbers are not sustainable. Historically, no one, not Lionel Messi, not anyone, is hitting the goal with whatever he was, like 50% of his shots and scoring with like a third of them or whatever it was. Um, Today, he experienced that regression. If you're going to do it, do it on a day where you're winning 3-1 and where most of the misses actually came after the match was won. But I'm guessing that uh, some of those chances show up as pretty big chances that he missed today. Yeah, so he actually had one that was classified as a big chance, and um, he had an overall XG of 0.86. Um, so that was a, definitely a good game. And, you know, he did have one um, shot that was placed really well. It was his, his third shot. I'm trying to remember the exact one here, um, that it was actually probably a, a good save from Schmeichel because um, that one came out as a, a 0.9 um, on the the, play, uh, the shot placement model. So he might have been unlucky to, to miss... Um, Oh, that was the one that was actually the the cutback that was right in front of the goal. Yeah, he he um, literally so, he, sh- so that that's another one where your model probably breaks down because he shoots it into the corner, but it's literally the only part of the goal where Schmeichel is. Exactly, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's tough, and I think that's where you need just a bigger sample, and you know, you can look at certain things and say, okay, yeah, that was in the corner, that was still a good shot, but you know, in that situation, there really isn't a a ton of the goal for him to shoot at, so. I think that he played well. He's still getting in good spots. And yeah, you know, sometimes you're not going to finish everything. No, that's fair. Well, Aubameyang did, and he had tap-ins. This is what we thought we were getting with Aubameyang, the guy who can score two goals from point-blank range because his movement is good, and he just has a knack for being in the place to score tap-in goals. Um, We already handled his XG, which was, what did you say, 1.5 in that range? Yeah, so for two shots, two goals... To yeah, tap-ins. That's yeah, a good day at the office, and that's the kind of a poacher's goals that you know you'd expect from him, um, especially from his time at Dortmund. Th- these are the kinds of things that he is just so good at. He anticipates um, getting to those spots for other players to be able to just provide him with a great shooting opportunity. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting, right? Because I think it's easy to say that those are easy goals. So much good work has to be done before he gets the chance to tap them in, but also the running that he has to do to get to that spot. I mean, he's supposedly a a wide player in that system. He's winding up basically center of the goal, you know, three yards out at just the right time to... Yeah, and I think that's where his um, elite uh, speed over like 10 yards really shows because, you know, I think for the the Bellerin one, he starts... Uh, right at like the the edge of the D um, at the 18 yard box, he sees the the through ball from Ozil, and then he is just instantly 
there before the defense can even react. Um, so he's the first one. So it's a, a good move. You know, it's a, a easy tap in, but his ability to anticipate and get into the spot is still really good. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I I think it was great. Just one last quick question in terms of uh, the midfield partner for for Torreira, Granite Chaka. You know, I think he's he's developing his partnership with. Torreira, but it looked like Torreira had more of the, of the dominant role today. I mean, part of that because Shaq has moved out to the nominal left back position second half. But anything from his game that stands out to you? Um, it's again um, worryingly high negative passing. Um, you know, he's really good at passing the ball, but he still has a, a few too many of those really kind of dumb moves that he does every once in a while. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he ended up with a point one four, which is a, a solid, respectable number. But of that, it was a 0.4 positive and then a 0.25 negative. So it's like, oh, come on, like just just make the easy passes sometimes. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the biggest frustration well, um, for me with Jacka. Um, I thought when when Doozy came on, um, he actually looked really good. You know, again, Arsenal were totally in control of the match during that time, um, and there wasn't a ton of pressure on them in. Um, Midfield, especially um, ever, you know, Leicester definitely pushed back um, in the second half where they were pressing high in the first, and that kind of caused some trouble for for Xhaka. Uh, so yeah, I, I would I would have liked to have seen better from him. Um, all being said, you know, it wasn't his worst performance, and he definitely still added some some good stuff. Yeah, I, I only ask because I think based on the Genduzi performance, admittedly, like you said, at a time in the match when we were very much on top. He's going to be knocking on the door for that role. Um, Torreira, however, certainly seems to have his position nailed down at this point, and all the best. So a happy, a happy spreadsheet today, right, Scott? Yeah, and I, I will just say one thing. I was actually surprised how well he did as an auxiliary left back. I never want to see him do that ever again. But he didn't have any mistakes out there, and actually seemed to do decent. Agreed. Well, uh, long may performances like today continue and uh, if they do no one will be able to talk about regression because our underlying performances will warrant the results we're getting it's project three now three to go so we'll see what happens and we'll talk to you after that match scott's on twitter oh underscore that underscore crab thanks scott thank you elliot all right we're going to take a short break and come back with clive and paul to finish off a podcast where we'll mostly mostly uh just wax poetic about the goals from the second half Okay, we're back. Those are the key statistics in the match. Just a little um, palette wetter there. What, palette wetter? That sounds pretty gross. <laughs> panty wetter? Well, speaking of panty wetter, that's another Sigu. Let's wet some panties with a discussion of Mesut Ozil's second half performance. Yeah, thank you. That's what they pay me the no bucks for. Um, so we're back with Clive and Paul, You're obviously. <laughs> no doubt. So let, let's talk about the second goal first because it happened before the third goal. Again, professionalism. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just great execution. I'm, you know, th- this, this is one of those moves that actually seems very, very simple until you realize how critical every little step in the execution is. And actually, it starts with Lacazette and Aubameyang exchanging some passes on the edge of the final third. They don't have a way in, so the ball recycles. It winds up with Ginduzi, slides it to Ozil, who's dropped deep. The ball he plays for Bellerin that splits the fullback and the center back and the midfielder who's dropped in is stunning. But what I love about the way Bellerin makes the run, it's not just a straight run. It's angled into that space, and he kind of does a body language thing where he starts running that says, like, okay, 
I'm going to make this run. You know, if you play that ball, I'm going to get to the end of it. The weight is flawless. And then Bellerin's pass across the goal mouth to Aubameyang is brilliant. And the run from Aubameyang, I mean, you know, a lot of people say, what is Aubameyang? What kind of striker is he? You know, that finish is a tap-in, but it's a tap-in because of how intelligent the timing of the run is and where he runs to to give Bellerin the best possible pass. I mean, why don't you talk me through each player's role in that and how much you enjoyed it? Jeez, I don't remember that well. I can tell you this much, though. Uh, seeing Obama Yang ghosting in uh, and just the pacing and the, the, the place, him and, and Ozil, if no other fucker had taken a shot, we'd be on 100% completion for shots and goals. Um, you know, he had two shots on goal and he ghosted in twice. And this was a game in which cut back FC, we played the ball out to the right and he was on the left. We've talked about this before. I think Clive's talk about this as well, how he'd like to see him on the right coming in for these. And I think that makes perfect sense. I think he'd be wonderful ghosting in on the right if we can have somebody on the left cutting it back in. Well, yeah, you, you need a fullback on the left to do that. Pr- yeah, presumably. you need somebody I mean, to get Bell- Bellerin's so special because his yeah. pace means that he can get on a ball like that. There's not a lot of fullbacks, I think, certainly none at our club, that, that are going to get on the end of that ball. But, you know, yeah. uh, the the thing I, I think, you know, is so brilliant about Aubameyang there is you look at where Lacazette ends that move, and he's standing basically at the top of the D in the center forward position, or, or you know, yeah. he eventually winds up on the penalty spot. But he kind of occupies the attention of the defenders, and then Aubameyang's able to yeah. ghost in the space that he abandons. I mean, Clive, for me, it just seems obvious that Lacazette, thrives with Aubameyang and Aubameyang thrives with Lacazette when he can get more into these spaces when he's not totally out on the wing so you know watching this goal and then the the one that came after it I mean do you feel that Emery has to ultimately start to find a way from the start of the game to use these two together and get them into these kinds of positions it sort of makes sense and again this is why I'm I'm in no rush to reach the perfect 11 I think we're playing three games in six days and there needs to be a level of rotation, right? There's no one can, the same eleven can't play these three games. And um, what I found really interesting was, you know, the, the previous weeks, Heather, you know, it's how we've been very left-sided biased with Monreal. Mm-hmm. We've been like, you know, over you know, near 40 odd percent on the left side. We've immediately switched out to the right side because we knew we had the right fullback in that position, and Lacazette loaded on that side again, which means a little bit less jazz, a little bit more thought. We know we're struggling with left fullback. We know we're, going to, we're not going to be able to overlap. So rather than keep pushing that button and then getting caught, we stopped and went the other side and really pushed and pushed on the right-hand side and got in. The interesting thing was on with the front Bellerin two. Clive had 80 passes, to your point. Mustafi, 84. So you nailed yeah. it. Yeah. And <laughs> Thank you, my And basically, do you remember when Aubameyang came on? And I think it might be in the first couple of minutes... They did a couple of one twos him and Lacazette, and they just they tried it and they just started to connect almost immediately. And you look at it, you think, cracky, both of them look different immediately. Like they spark off each other. I mean, we know this stuff. They were exchanging passes right off, just bing, 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 right, looking for each other. Playing. You know what remind me of a little Ozo and Alexis when they were on the pitch together at the peak of their powers together. They were always looking for each other because they knew they were two of the most dangerous guys on the pitch. Yeah, immediately they could find each other blindfold. 
back, you know, backhill passes, receiving it back, one twos, standing still, holding people off. Bosh, get off me, turn around. And they start, they immediately dropped off. You get a bit of space, we can get in between the lines. I mean, the, the the chemistry they give off to the fan, but imagine what they're doing to the defenders. They're thinking, crikey, these two can find each other whenever they like. They, they stay on the same line, they do stepovers, they let the ball go straight through, around the other side. I mean, it is just slick. They need each other. I saw some tweets saying, in the first half, Lacazette looked like Lacazette of last season without Aubameyang. I thought it was a little bit harsh because we were struggling as a team, but there's a within that feedback, there's a, there's a hint of truth. The moment he came on, they both looked brilliant, and Lacazette left two goals out there, as we know. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's, it's great, mate. But don't worry, we've got three games. We've got Seville. Maybe they'll play them there, right? And maybe they'll, Aubameyang will play against Palace away, and we've got to think of it as a three-game stretch. Yeah, as no, Clive's talking ahead. there, I'm thinking of he's saying what what are opposition teams thinking when they see uh, Lacazette and and Obama Yang? It reminds me of that line from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, where they're looking off into the distance at the posse that keeps following them no matter where they go, and one of them says, "Who are those guys?" Yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking, Paul. We're always on the same wavelength. That's what I love yeah, about sorry. podcasting. I, with you. I think I said Seville. I meant I, I meant Lisbon. Li- sorry, Limson. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's same same difference. Honestly, um, there, there's no test on this. So, look, I mean, what, watching Ozil tonight was just so extraordinary, and I, he's so underrated for his ability to maintain control of the ball and how hard he is to get off the ball. One of the things I love in tight spaces that he does, you know, how he'll be like in transition. There'll be a guy about to press him or try to take the ball from him, he, he chops it back onto his other foot. You know what I mean? The one where he chops it back the other way. Mm-hmm. And it, it always beats the defender. Like, he has no answer for it. It's brilliant. The third goal is is another one of those special ones, like the one Ramsey scored with the back heel the other day. And this one involves so many special moves. Uh, underrated part of it is... is um, I think it's Ganduzi passes to Torreira, a long line-breaking pass out from the back. That starts the move, and actually for the for the first goal, I think Torreira plays a good out ball from defense, and so I, I thought our our play out from back to front for all the goals was really good. These are really transition moves, and you, you made the point earlier, Paul. We it's weren't Torreira to Ozil who flicks it in the midfield. Yes, yep, that's right. Yep, and and I mean and you, you said this. We Ganduzi, weren't Ganduzi bangs it up the wing to Bellerin who knocks it to Ozil for the Ozil dummy. Keeps running does the on. dummy. Mm-hmm. Lacazette, Ozil, Aubameyang. Oh, Man, Jesus. Special. Yeah. I, and I'm watching it right now. The thing that's so incredible is, so Ozil dummies it to Lacazette, but he has the presence of mind after the dummy. He does this little pirouette to keep running. And then the way he chops the ball to Aubameyang with the outside of his left foot to, to yeah. just get it over Schmeichel so that Aubameyang can tap it in yeah. is, is extraordinary. And he has an equally beautiful pass, by the way, Cutting between two defenders for Lacazette for the the sitter that he misses oh, later yeah. in the match. Um, this is also at the peak of his powers. I mean, Clive, we debate whether he deserves three hundred and fifty grand a week, and this debate will rage on anytime he has a game that's less than extraordinary. But he's a match winner tonight, and and that's form that very few players can hit. And he has three different involvements in this match that lead to three goals that there aren't many players in the world that can do, and and should have been a fourth or even a fifth. I mean, when you see Ozil in this kind of form, it's it's not bittersweet. It's absolutely extraordinary. But is this just sort of a subtle reminder to us, for, for some of us who needed it, 
that he is still, from a, from a talent standpoint at the position he plays, able to produce performances that few players in the world can produce? Well, I, I waver on him at times. I'll be honest with you. I waver on we him. We all I think do. Sometimes he, he looks weak. He looks, you know, his broken language is not good. I'm not one of these people that say you've got to roll his sleeves up and do slide tackles. But I like to see a little bit more protection of the ball on occasion, not let people tear through you and break on us. But then I also don't want to go overboard about his performance tonight. Some of the things he did will stay in my memory for a, for a long, long, long time. But he needed other people. There were lots of other people involved in high-class performances. I think we have a tendency sometimes to really put people on pedestals when they don't always deserve it to remain there. What we see about six or seven top-class performances to overcome a good Leicester team. And I'm watching Ozil running around Harry Maguire, the, the English hero who we all like, <laughs> He looks absolutely stupid on that goal. Doesn't know where to stand. Completely turned around. Show him your number. He's looking at a linesman thinking, oh my God, please put the flag <laughs> please up. <help. 'cause> I'm <laughs> please put the flag up because I'm looking pretty bad here. But, you know, another good thing about that move, he will be charges down the right-hand side. And Johnny Evans then goes deep. So he's so deep that Ozil's never offside. It's a side foot. There's more to this than just the, the step over and the reverse pass. And I think um, I'm pleased that Ozil's playing well. I'm pleased he's been given responsibility. I'm pleased that he's now having to travel to Eastern Europe for the Europa League. I don't care about his bad back. I want him, if he could negotiate that deal, fair play to you. But then own it. Own it, mate. You're the highest paid player in the team. Own it. Be that person. Take charge of this team when you need to, when, we went, when we're one nil down at home. And he did exactly that. And I think he deserves a fair amount of praise. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that's right. And, you know, it, it is a reminder of how important it is sometimes if you're going to win games and win trophies to get the most out of your best players because they're ultimately the ones that, that can change matches. I mean, you know, Aubameyang gets a brace tonight doing what he does best, arriving into positions to score what would be easy goals if it weren't for how much great movement it takes to get into those positions. Ozil does what he does best. You know, occupying the number ten role, popping into space and delivering balls that few can deliver, and and the goal, which is you know an extra bonus really for his match. But even without the goal, he could have had a hat trick of assists tonight uh, if Lacazette has his finishing boots on. Extra yeah. boner as an extra boner too. Yeah, it's always great to have an extra boner. Um, uh, you know, no, no that goal, no, that it's, goal. No, you it's see, not. I had this. Um, <laughs> I had this girlfriend once. Elliot. No, what do you no. think of your next question? <laughs> Absolutely sensational in bed, and then the next night she'd have a sore back. And uh, and the other thing was we'd planned this weekend in Newcastle and she was a no show. So like I just I kind of know what he goes through. That, that's not even like a parable. That's just you <laughs> replacing girlfriend and, and in bed for Ozil and on the pitch. But I, I take your point. Oh, okay. Um so I mean so Paul, I mean look, we see Ozil play in the ten tonight and, and he's given the options ahead of him, especially in the second half. Lacazette, Obama Yang, there they are, there are your goal scorers, you're in the ten, you know, run the show. You know, as as Emery starts to learn his team more, and especially if Ramsey is is maybe off, and we can come on to that just a tiny little bit before we're done here, but mm -hmm. is is this what Emery has to try to do? I mean, is this the puzzle that he ultimately always had to solve and maybe is now closer to solving, which is how do I sort the pieces and what system do I put in a place where I can have Ozil in a position for him to thrive and give him the options in front of him so that we can be our best attacking possibility? 
I think it exactly is. And this this is a benchmark performance. It's a template. And you've got to ask, why could we not do this basically in every game from here on forward, especially when you consider the number of players we moved around before the game and in the game? Um, this is the level we've got to play to. And it, it's hard to imagine Ozil doing this from the right. He might have done a piece of this uh, tonight from the right or from the left. But, I mean, he just... You can't have multiple free players in the team. Um, and Ozil himself can't be as free as maybe he has been in previous seasons or previous times. Right. Uh, I, I think he put in a, a decent shift in this. And you could see him closing down players and grafting, etc. And I think we've seen quite a bit of this this season. I think he's actually got a bit of religion on Emery's system. And he's believing. Um, but this this is the marker. Can we keep doing this i don't see why we can't accept playing at this level's exceptional and then we'll have to win the games that you know where we're just not quite firing and nobody really knows why it's it's deeper into the season but if we can keep this streak we have at the moment and this confidence i mean we won games where we were not too startling but mentally we seem pretty strong as the game goes on um, it's not just it won't just be belief because we're winning. We're winning because of belief and because of focus and because of sticking with it. And yeah, a bit of luck, but we all know the the maxim about luck, right? Um, whatever it is, it, um, I'll it, never I'll never forget it. You have more of it when you have an extra boner, or or, or, or it was good in bed when it was your ex girlfriend. I was lucky to meet that girl who no never mind. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, you make your, your own thought. luck. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I mean. You, you look at this now, and here's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, six goals scored. He's one off Eden Hazard for lead, league lead. He's coming off the bench. This is supposed to be, oh, we don't know how to fit Aubameyang into the system, and yet he seems to be fitting in just fine. It's four goals and two substitute appearances on the trot, so that's not so bad. And now, you know, we're one game away from completing this Project 24 that uh, Clive dubbed and it's incredible. It's it's really really incredible and it certainly. I was Project Eighteen. I've got to admit. Yeah, no, I I mean you are renowned for your negativity, but Clive, <laughs> I mean in the context of the club and and what it meant coming off two losses to start the season under a new coach after all those years of Arsene Wenger and players working harder needing to buy into a system, how important has this run been for the club for the supporters and how far can it carry us? I th you know, we spoke about this before. I think these eight games were stretched out. The eight league games were stretched out in front. And I, and I just said to myself, if I was a manager, I'd say, right, how many points do I get out of 24? And simple as that. Project 24, how many points could we get? I thought we'd get about 21, 20, you know, so so points. So but here we are. Here we are with potential getting all 24. And and I, I, I for me, even in those first couple of games... You know what? The, the most disappointing game so far for me has been Chelsea, actually, because I thought we really had them. But maybe in hindsight, that would have put us above the radar, you know, too soon. If we'd have gone to Chelsea and won, we'd have got this Hyper Bowl. And, and basically, I'm not so sure we would have we would have done so well. But it focused us against West Ham. We weren't great against West Ham, but we, we won that game. And then we started to roll from there on in. And 
again, what we're seeing. Well, we've ruined that staying off the radar thing tonight, Clive, with those bloody yeah. goals. Well, you know what? I, in, over here, we get Graham Souness and Jamie Carragher on the television over here, and Graham Souness is trying his best to say how lucky we were. And I had to come and do the podcast. I haven't heard what Carragher said. But I'm telling everybody, right, that is not a lucky performance tonight. The lines that we were playing, that when you do those overs in centre midfield, that's that's planned. That's people that know each other. That's people that are communicating. That's people on the same wavelength. You're getting people, you're getting people moving into position because they trust the person's going to pass it to them on time. They're not going to turn away, do a little shake and bake, and, and roll it square, get dispossessed, and we're running back towards our goal, looking really slow. They're making teams defend. They're making teams work in their box. We're making defenders look tired. And we're not the super fastest team out there. And again, if you think forward, if we have this mentality and this direct, normal way of playing football with the talent that we have, and we add more devastation still in fullback areas and a bit more power at centre-back, this team has got something going under this manager. And I have to say, I am extremely impressed by him. His understanding of the game, his understanding of the fundamentals of the game and how he's applying that to the players. And we can all see the difference. And there's so many examples. And the chief one for me is is Alex Iwobi to see the difference in his confidence and the things he's trying and, and how you feel when he goes into close spaces you're not thinking he's going to lose it. He's not thinking he's going to lose it. He says, yeah, come to me. And he's going through your legs. I mean, it's just a joke what he's doing on the board at the moment. It is a joke. He's so confident. He's so up there that he's never coming off that pitch, right? And it's just look, it just looks fantastic. And I'm very, very excited about what we saw tonight. Yeah, it's, it's great to watch. And the goals we're scoring are really encouraging. And we're getting the most out of the kinds of players we need to get the most out of to be good. Mesut Ozil, Lacazette, Aubameyang. Um, you know, I, I think we would have liked to have gotten a little more from Ramsey. I, I do want to just touch on his cameo real quick. I mean, Paul, he comes into the game at a weird time. It's already won. It's over. We're probably being a little over-elaborate at that point. We could have had more goals in this game. I don't think Ramsey was super sharp. I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts on where we go with Ramsey? I mean, is it maybe time to start seeing him as super sub or rotational option, knowing that he's probably not staying and say, let's build around this core of other players who seem to be clicking now? Yeah, I think so. Um, on the other hand, it's early days, right? We've got to settle into a new normal. Uh, I think they need to make a clean decision and, and hopefully they have in the background as to what they're doing. I, I'm not, I don't know if it necessarily helps if it's a, could it be on again, off again thing all season? I think it's distracting. It might just be better to settle into whatever ever it is we're doing. And if that's we have decided that's not where we're going to spend 200 and something or other thousand in wages, then so be it. Um, I thought his body language was pretty good coming on for this. I know you can't overdo yeah, this shit. Yeah, but it seemed fine. I mean, I, I don't he think he's the fine. kind of player seemed, who's going to yeah. cause a problem. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's right. I think he'll... He'll want to do well for for his own reasons. Um, I think if we can play great football without him being central to it, that may not be the worst thing. Close. Your, your dog doesn't want him anywhere near the squad, that's um, for sure. I, you know, somebody's got to kind of take a backseat here at this point in the season and maybe 
you know, later on in the season will be his time to shine. There will be an injury or whatever, God forbid, but they do happen. And it'll be his time to step up and it'll work for both sides. But I kind of liked, uh, I agree, he didn't exactly have a, an opportunity to shine in this. But I did like how he came on. Um, I, I, he was our last man on, if I remember right. And yeah. he, he just got the 10 minutes at the end. But he came on, he came to play. Uh, he was positive. Um, and I think that's all right for both sides. I mean, both sides made their decisions. He's had offers on the table. We apparently had an offer on the table, and then we decided we didn't have one. So everybody made their their choices to this point, and it's out where it's at. And, uh, you know, there's always somebody loses out one way or another. I don't, I don't want to hand he's wave. He's a good guy, and he's a professional guy. I don't want to hand wave a player like Ramsey and be like, well, if he's off, he's off, because he is a more important and more talented player than that. But sometimes circumstance deals you opportunity, um, you know, where when God opens a window, um, um, I the devil climb, shuts a door. Uh, yeah. And anyway, so now that we've cleared that up, no, I, I think for me, when you see Mesut Ozil in this imperious form playing the number 10 and how natural the position suits him and how unnatural the other positions have looked for him. And you see the way the side is constructed with Torreira and Shaka and Ganduzi really hammering on the door as someone who can make a huge difference. Maybe Ramsey not re-signing and that failure to re-sign, meaning that Emery feels just a little more free to use him rotationally or as a substitute or intermittently just helps the final stages of this plan come together a little bit. And it doesn't mean that you don't use him. It doesn't mean that he's not important. It just means maybe you feel liberated from the need to shoehorn him into the team, and that lets the team have just a little more balance. Because the role Ramsey was being used in not only didn't seem to fit him early this season, but it seemed to push Ozil into a role that didn't suit him as well. So, you know, I mean, look, I would miss Ramsey, and I, I think he is criminally underrated by some segments of our fan base that are on this podcast that are named Clive. But, like, I think... It's, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, but I, but I think it is an opportunity. Clive, we, we have to do two things real quick before we say goodbye. One is I, I think we do have to come back to Torreira just a bit. Um, he led us in passing tonight. Now, that probably would have been Ozil had he stayed on the whole game, but it was Torreira. His, his knack for knowing when to step up and, and intercept the ball, when to drop off, fill the passing lanes, his, his engine, his ability to pick up the ball and be progressive with it, to touch it around a defender. He's a lot more comfortable on the ball than I think people made him out to be. You know, Emery was very patient getting him into the side, but he's in the side now, and he looks like the glue that holds this all together for me. Yeah, he, uh, he, he's actually very easy to, to analyze, isn't he? Because he's, so, he's got such clarity about his game. And yeah. when he when he when he goes on the pitch, he, even some of the substitute appearances, you just watch him jog on. He just jogs on, stands in the middle and says, right, let's go. This is me here. You lot do your stuff. This is me here. I'm if ever sure. a man knows his job. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I've been saying for years about Sir, Sir Darren Ramsey, right? He hasn't defined himself, right? It's very important you define yourself 
in your any in any job you're doing in life define yourself define your work style define how you operate and make sure it suits the environment that you're in i bet ramsey secretly is incredibly frustrated at what's happening right now because i think his agent has overplayed his hand and basically ramsey could easily suit this team the ball's moving quickly through people and i think ramsey could have learned a lot from a manager that made him do certain jobs rather than let him do what he likes. I think if this guy had come along a couple of years ago, who knows what could have happened, right? But what's happened is people like Torreira, people like Granduzzi, the the ups, the uptick in Shaka, um, the uptick in Iwobi, they've just made his football replaceable, I'm afraid. And uh, we haven't seen Maitland-Niles in there yet, neither. And Emil Smith-Rose appeared out of nowhere. So you, the picture has changed in six months because the manager's come on and improved all of those players or brought those players into the club. Sam Ramsey's there with no particular definition to his game. His game could be Ozil's game. It could be Granduzzi's game. It could be all these players' game. But the separation is not enough the money that he's requiring and I think you know I'm not his biggest fan but I've, I've got a tinge of sadness about that Elliot, actually that he potentially could have been a better player for us if he was told what to do yeah. much more and I think there's a tinge of sadness there with Torreira now he, we can all see him can't we we could actually never talk about him again because it's not going to change he is going to play like that every single week for the rest of the season as long as he's fit yeah because he knows what he's doing we could just stop it right there because we're never gonna we're just gonna repeat ourselves because he's that good at what he's doing i think and it was interesting the manager didn't use the chance to take him off when he was limping yeah Uh, he likes a limp doesn't he He likes a limp yeah He gets a South American right. He gets killed, chopped off at the knees. He limps around. The next game, he looks like he's brand new again. I believe. So, uh, I believe that's called a pimp walk. Is what that's called. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. Um, by the way, quite hilariously, Hector Bellerin has just tweeted out one goal, two assists, laughing face, <laughs> eyes. So great, great game for Bellerin. One goal, and two assists. Um, I thought that was quite funny as well. He held. He. I did interview him after Elliot, and he had the mic so far up his nose. He's quite funny. I'm sure someone's <laughs> going to post pictures of that later. So um, awesome. the mic was covering all of his half of his face. That is quite funny. I do. I do I love tell you the, the celebration of the players. Uh, after those two, the two wonder goals, really the three wonder goals, but uh, it, it built and built. I mean, they were just they were incredulous to those goals, and the celebrations with the fans were just wonderful. Just looking back at well, as I looked at the highlights there again and again, man, Footballers the celebrations. Goals. Yeah. Footballers' goals, board of, yeah. the type of goals that footballers really appreciate because it, it needed a level of timing and collectiveness and things it like that. It was art. So let's finish with, with the most important thing. I've saved it for the end. I stopped paying attention to you guys. So mm-hmm. if I was supposed to respond to something that you were saying, I apologize. Um, Manchester United are within seven points of us now. So we certainly have to keep an eye on them. Um, I want to talk about what I see as just sort of a disgraceful moment in football, because this is an Arsenal podcast, but it is a football podcast too. And, there are some things that should be addressed when they happen. We have addressed some other disgraceful things that have happened around the world of football. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw it, but Chelsea got a late equalizer against United at the weekend. And some Chelsea staffer, some member of the coaching staff, I don't know, is disgraceful. He, he walks right by Mourinho. He, he's within three feet of him. Celebrates right in his face. He has a clear opportunity to kick him right in the nuts and passes on it. I... I don't know where football's going, but Paul, 
this is a disgrace. He's got to kick him in the nuts there. What's he thinking? It's there. It's, I mean, to be fair, right, you can say he can't miss that. But you can. You can miss those. Uh, and I think he froze. Uh, I don't yeah. – he, he's not an attacker, right? He's not a striker. He just didn't expect to have it there in front of him. It was the all world. sitting there for him. <laughs> yeah. And he just didn't take the chance. I mean, Clive, he froze. You, you, you are a, a, a coach. You know what it's like to be on the touchline. Um, how hard is it in that situation to get the kick in? I mean, do you think he could have made a lunge and, and gotten Jose's nuts, or do you think it's just asking too much? I think Jose was just, he was unhappy because he was about to do one of his new camp runs on the pitch and sliding his knees jobs at, at Stamford <laughs> yeah. Bridge. And he got, had it taken away from him. He was absolutely mortified. He had his moment lined up. He was going to shush the crowd. He was going to do everything. Because it's all about him, as we well know, right? So, but he still managed to make a moment all about him. And I suppose, in fact, I That's don't all that matters. That. And look, I think we can agree that having someone celebrate kind of sort of near you is a disgrace as compared to oh i don't know gouging someone's eyes out on the touchline but it's all okay because they are on 14 points from nine games fucking super club um we are on 21 points from nine games we have a plus 11 goal difference we have scored 22 goals in the league second only to manchester city who are on just a teensy tiny little 23 uh goal difference 26 scored three conceded not bad uh, Liverpool on 23, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Tottenham, 21, 21, 21. So it's going to be interesting. I, we have positioned oh, ourselves right our where goals, you want to be. Elliot. Oh, oh, but our goals. They have been the finest in the land, let me tell you that. Liverpool now on the horizon, so that's coming up. But next, we will be playing in Lisbon, uh, or as Clive refers to it, Seville. I've heard it both <laughs> ways. Um, so that should be interesting. Uh, we will... We will definitely have a podcast for you after that. Might have a halftime show. We'll see if we can manage it. But just really quickly, you guys, uh, any expectations for that match, Clive? Anything in particular you're looking for there? Rotation, not rotation, uh, heavy win? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I'd be interested to see where Danny Welbeck is. He's had a little hamstring before he did during the England game. So let's see how long that is. Hopefully he'll get one of these two games in because we're going to need that freshness. We, you know, again, Lacazette looked a little bit leggy in this game at certain point until Aubameyang came on. And I'm not worried. We need that. We need a left back. That's what we need. That's the most important. Well, thing. it's Monday, Thursday, left Sunday. Back. So you know, yeah, these players need to start getting fit. I won't mind seeing Socrates back as well. You know, I think um, he's a good player, and, and, and we miss him. Right? I'm not saying anyone else is doing bad because I thought Mustafi in particular did well, but I like the authority he was showing before he got injured. Yeah, yeah, agreed, Paul. I mean, would you? expect some rotation the one thing we know is that you know the the fixture congestion is starting to happen now but if we can get a win in uh seville or lisbon whichever one it is um then you know we are right on track to qual i think we'll be qualified potentially and then you know be really in the driver's seat for uh top in the group so that you maybe make it easier on yourself in the coming months if, if you take this game seriously i mean how do you expect emory to approach it uh, y- your line's breaking up a little bit there, Elliot. You're saying something about a civil lesbian. I don't think I don't see why she shouldn't be. But in terms of the game coming up, which I think is more germane to what we should be talking about, I can see quite a bit of rotation. Uh, I don't see why not. Everything's going good. Everybody plays as good as anybody else, at least in the last two games. So yeah, I think there'll be plenty of rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a busy week and. 
we got the, the good fields. No reason not to rotate. Uh, I think we'll do well. I think we'll be in good shape in the Europa League. And, and the good fields will keep feeling. So uh, when the podcast comes out, listen to it. And then... Uh Text me or something. Let me know what you thought of that. What you thought of that joke? Because I, th- I think you can workshop that one and uh, and maybe take it out of the routine. Just my thought. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter at Pause in my pants. Thank you, Pause. Woo-hoo. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us five star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments, especially about Tim. Uh, he will be back. He was at the game tonight at the actual Emirates Stadium where the game was played. So. Uh, you know, he, he had a front row seat, and maybe when we talk to him next, we can get uh, his thoughts on how it looked in the ground. I know Clive wants to hear about that. Maybe we'll do a little of that in the back channel and then bring that to the podcast. Uh, Tim did a great match preview of this one. So remember, if you are a Patreon subscriber, you will get access to Tim's match previews. You'll get access to our In the Spotlight podcast. You'll get access to uh, all the special content, including recordings of the halftime show. But whether you are a uh, Patreon subscriber or just a, a listener to this podcast, we love you and we thank you. And we uh, couldn't be more appreciative of you taking the time out of your day to listen to us ramble about the Arsenal and tell really, really bad jokes and confuse major European cities for one another uh, and pronounce names wrong. Because that's what this podcast is all about, if nothing else. In any event, we will talk to you after Sporting Sevilla Lisbon. Zero. Arsenal 10.